0: Hi friends, no more movie clips, (laughs) boring Troy, but I'm glad you're here. Today we begin a new series called Stuff, Developing a Theology of Money and Possessions. Whether you have a little of it or a lot of it, money can rule you. In this series, we will take a look at our relationship with money and possessions and examine whether the almighty dollar has uprooted the place of the almighty God. Before we begin today, let's invite God to teach us. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we start this series... I recognize it may create conversations that some of us don't want to have. I know my wisdom is flawed. So I know we'll need your spirit to speak louder than I do. We'll need you to apply the truth of this text to our lives, to comfort us, to challenge us, to change us. So I pray you do that today and and throughout this series. Help us approach this topic with an open mind and a submissive heart. We pray this in the name of the one who gave his life that we might live. Amen. I don't know about you, but I struggle with seasonal allergies. Anybody with me out there? I face them every fall and spring and summer, and winter. Now, I use a medication to help manage the symptoms, but I've never read the warning label until this week. May I share with you what I've read? Possible side effects include headache, back pain, nausea, vomiting, menstrual problems, Nosebleeds, sore throat, sneezing and coughing. Sneezing and coughing, by the way, is why I purchased the product. (laughs) The label instructs me, tell your doctor right away if you have any serious side effects, including eye pain, facial pain, pain when swallowing, signs of nasal damage, such as pain, severe nosebleeds, a constant whistling sound from your nose, And white patches in your nose or throat. The label warns of hypersensitive reactions including angioedema, skin rash, edema of the face and tongue, pruritus, urticaria, bronchospasm, wheezing, dyspnea, and anaphylaxis. I may develop ear or eye disorders such as the loss of my sense of taste or smell, nasal septal perforation, nasal ulcers, hoarseness, blurred vision, conjunctivitis, glaucoma, increased interocular pressure, and cataracts. (laughs) After reading the warning label, sneezing and coughing don't sound so bad, do they? (laughs) Now, I've taken this medication for years and I've never read the warning label until this week. Why not? Because I think the chances are low that I'll ever be affected by any of those side effects. Though now that I think about it, I may feel a nasal ulcer coming on as I speak. But if any of those symptoms do show up, I can't say I wasn't warned. Andy Stanley notes, wealth should come with a warning label because it has some potent side effects. If you were to read wealth's warning label, it would say, warning may cause arrogance. While taking wealth, extra precautions should be taken not to offend people. If taken for prolonged periods, wealth may impair perception of self and others and God. But money doesn't come with a warning label. And even if it did, we probably wouldn't read it. That's why we're doing this series. To be clear, money and possessions aren't evil. The Bible offers balanced perspective on the subject of wealth. In the pages of scripture, you will find statements that make socialists shrink and capitalists cringe. Everyone is equally uncomfortable when they read the words on the Bible on money. But that says more about us than the Bible. I've made an observation over the years. You don't need to make much money to feel its side effects. You can be mastered by money, whether you're rich or poor. In fact, some of the poorest people I know have the biggest problems with money. I don't mean they don't know how to manage money. I mean they have a heart, mind, and life consumed by it. Desperately seeking more. Constantly comparing themselves to others. This means you can't measure materialism by someone's clothing label or vacation destination. Tim Keller offers a good test to determine if you have a problem with money. Ask yourself, How do you react to rich people? How do you react to people who have more money than you? Do you look down on them with scorn? Look down your nose at them because of their extravagance? Or do you look up to them in envy, wishing you could have what they have, go where they go, do what they do? Either way, whether you respond with inferiority or superiority, money still has power over you. You see, materialism it's not about how much stuff you have. It's about what you do with it and how you feel about it. How do you feel about money? Money makes people feel all sorts of feelings and think all sorts of thoughts. Guilt, greed, envy, safety, security, gratitude, generosity. What you think about money and possessions radically impacts the way you live and love. How you feel about stuff more than almost any other thing in the world influences the way you relate to God and others. So today, I offer you this warning. Don't give your money too much credit. To begin this series, I want to work through one through my favorite biblical passage on money and possessions, 1 Timothy chapter 6. This single set of verses touches on almost everything that needs to be said on the subject. We'll spend the remainder of the stuff series unpacking these concepts and more. Passages laid out like the warning label on a bottle of medicine. It starts with the warning and it ends with the directions. I'm praying through this series that God will give us the wisdom and the discipline to use our money and possessions as directed. The letter we call First Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his protege Timothy. Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus and apparently money is making mischief in the church community. More precisely, it's not money or material possessions themselves. It's how the people in Timothy's church think about stuff and feel about stuff. And the verses, Paul calls attention to two people groups, the rich and those who want to be rich. Well, I think that covers most of us, doesn't it? (laughs) And on the outside of this series, I'm going to encourage you to think globally. You know, by virtue of living in the United States, you're probably rich. Most of us are rich or will be rich. Sure, some of us drive nicer cars than others. But the fact is, most of us are driving cars. Owning a car means you are wealthier than 92% of the world's population. Did you know if you earn more than $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of the world's workforce? Chances are you are rich or will be rich someday. So beware of dismissing Paul's words too quickly. He begins by talking to those who want to be rich. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 6 picks up with Paul's flow of thought midstream. In the previous verses, he was coaching Timothy how to deal with false teachers. These were individuals within the church community who were teaching false ideas for financial gain. Paul uses his words about their greed to segue into the topic of money. Now, some people think comfort and consumption is the way to happiness. But Paul disagrees. He says the greatest gain, the most Pleasurable profit is the return that comes from commitment to God and contentment with life. Contentment is simply a satisfaction with what one has. And contentment is one of the most boring words in the Bible. I mean, who gets excited about contentment? We get excited about more. We get excited about bigger And better. But Paul says there's actually more gain when we find joy in what we have. Now that may be hard to believe. But we'll save Paul's arguments for a few weeks. In fact, we'll take a whole weekend on the subject of contentment in December. We'll wait until after you've purchased all your Christmas gifts so you can feel bad about buying them. It'll be great. Here Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Then he explains, verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Paul reasons with us about our stuff. He argues if money and possessions were that important, we would have been born with them, and we would be able to take them with us. No, Paul's pleading with us. Don't give your money too much credit. Don't give your money too much credit. Money and material possessions promise provision, protection, and pleasure. We think more will make us happier. We think more will fill the hole in our souls. But our stuff over promises and underdelivers. It's not all it's cracked up to be. Proverbs 23 verse 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone so, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. So, Paul calls us again to contentment, verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, on the surface, it appears that Paul's calling all Christians to a bare-bones subsistence, free of all fun and frivolity. But that's not what he's saying, which he'll make clear quickly. Now, Paul's simply making a case for a kind of joy that isn't contingent on things you can't control, like wealth and health and houses. We'll return to the topic in a few weeks. Now Paul's warning ratchets up, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verses 9 and 10, Paul offers a series of violent images that Give us a glimpse of the fate of a person who isn't thinking and feeling right about stuff. Now, hear me. There's nothing wrong with wealth. But if you set your heart on it, if the pursuit of more drives you, you won't like where it leads you. Oh, it's alluring all right. Prosperity promises joy, prosperity promises peace, but once it lures you close enough, you're trapped by your own insatiable desires. The word for desires, epithemia in Greek get refers to a longing, a craving, a passion. And like many addictions, you develop a tolerance. Once you experience the high of more, you become accustomed to the high. And you need more, more to get high. Luxuries become necessities. Demands, desires become demands. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And the consequences of greed are great. Look again at the verse, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Paul switches metaphors midway through the verse to say, your desires hold your head underwater. It's an image of drowning. Then he tells us why. Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all Kinds of evil. Note the intentionality behind Paul's words. It's not money, but the love of money that sets a life down the wrong path. He's talking about greed. Avarice. We'll talk about that in detail next week. Verse 10. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The word translated wandered could be translated as a passive led astray, meaning greed has lied to the greedy and led them somewhere they didn't intend to go. They've wandered from the faith. No, they may not have rejected their faith outright. They still may give mental assent to biblical principles. Jesus is the son of God who died for the sins of the world. But in their greed, they've stopped following Jesus as a disciple. In their greed, they're no longer learning from him how to do life. They've traded their discipleship to Jesus for a discipleship to something else. And they like where greed is leading. For now. But not for long. Because the path ends in a fall in which they will impale themselves on their own pain and misery. That's what that word pierced means. And and what are the many griefs of greed? Dashed dreams. Shattered marriages. How many friendships and families have been torn apart by avarice? How many siblings have been separated by stuff when it came time to divide the inheritance? How many adult children want little to do with their parents now because their parents were too busy chasing success when they were little? We sink so much time and so much energy into the pursuit of stuff. But what do we have to show for? I think we 'd do well to heed the words of the acclaimed philosopher Jim Carey, who lamented, "I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it 's not the answer. My friends don 't give your money too much credit. Don't give your money too much credit. Now, that's how Paul counseled Timothy to pastor those who want to get rich. But a little later in the chapter, he directs his words to those who are rich because apparently some of the folks in Timothy's church were loaded. And to pick up Andy Stanley's analogy again, medicines cause side effects. But those side effects can be reduced or eliminated By taking those medicines with food. By decreasing the dosage. By combining them with another treatment. So, in the words that follow, Paul tells us how to offset the side effects of wealth. Verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, dot, dot, dot. We're going to stop right there. What's he going to say? What's he going to say to us in 21st century Salt Lake City? Is he going to tell you to sell your stuff, liquidate your assets, and give it all away? Verse 17, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Huh. You know, the common response to wealth is pride. You see your success, you know you're smart, you're self-made, right? (laughs) Well, this is another one of those topics to which we'll return later in this series. But for now, I will say this. Wealth has the power to delude a person, to overestimate their self-worth and self-importance. The Greek word Paul uses is rare. This is the only time it occurs in the New Testament. It means to think high thoughts about oneself, Paul says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Here's how this works. If I've attained wealth, if I find myself better off economically, then I'm tempted to think I'm better, period. If you're below me economically, then you're below me. See how that works? People of means are more tempted toward arrogance than the average person. Money makes you think you're superior. Money makes you think you're right about everything. You, do you know any rich people who think they have it all figured out? They look down their noses at others, they have strong opinions about everything, even matters that have nothing to do with their field of expertise. The reason they got rich. They know all about marriage. They know all about parenting. They know all about how you should do your job. Here's what you need to do. Now, in their minds, their wisdom got them wealth. Therefore, their wisdom is better than your wisdom. Now, is this true of all rich people? No. But wealth's temptation toward pride is potent. Yeah, this is a human problem. It's not exclusively a problem of the prosperous, but it's especially a problem of the prosperous. Because you lose humility. You lose teachability. Here's my observation The more financially successful you become, the more likely it is you've walled yourself off from truth tellers, people who regularly speak truth to you about your attitudes and actions. So let me ask my financially successful friends in the room. When was the last time someone beneath you brought truth to you about your words or ways? Did you respond with humility and gentleness? Wealth tempts you to believe your opinions matter more. Wealth tempts you to believe your needs matter more. Let me ask you another question. Do you find yourself regularly frustrated with all the idiots around you screwing up their lives? Or screwing up your neighborhood, or screwing up your dining experience, or screwing up your country. If those thoughts or feelings sound familiar, I encourage you to read Paul's words carefully and prayerfully and personally. Your affluence doesn't mean you're right about everything. Not even money. So stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Look, I know I risk offending you with my directness. You may not be used to people talking to you like this. Maybe that's part of the problem. But hear my heart. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just doing what Paul told another pastor to do. Command the rich not to be arrogant. He continues, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Your wealth is fleeting. You can't trust it. Stuff makes big promises of provision and protection, and it earns our trust along the way until the bottom falls out. I'm not talking about economic collapse, though that may happen too. I'm just saying stuff leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You can sink your life energy into chasing money and material possessions. But stuff doesn't cure depression. Stuff doesn't bring love. Paul says, don't put your hope in stuff. Back to the verse, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything. Paul directs our attention to the generous God in whom we can place our trust. Note that word generously. Paul's playing with words, uh, or note that word richly. Paul's playing with words to say, the rich shouldn't put their hope in riches, but the God who richly provides your riches. Put your hope in the giver, not the gift. In his challenge, Paul embeds a not-so-subtle reminder. It's all a gift, your wealth, your success. It's God who provides it. We'll talk about that later in the series as well. Put your hope in God who richly provides you with everything. Last fall, we studied Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. In that series, I handed you a phrase I repeat to you often. I say it to myself every day. What is it? God will give you everything you need. To do everything he wants you to do. God will give you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. And this is true whether you live like it or not. I don't always live like it's true. Some days I wonder if God has given me enough money to do everything he wants me to do. Some days days I wonder if God has given me enough time to do everything he wants me to do. I run about frantically afraid that I can't get it all done. There isn't enough time. There isn't enough money. I don't have enough talent. I don't have wisdom. Well, that would make sense if I didn't have a shepherd, but I have a shepherd. What if I started to live like it? God will give us everything we need to do, everything he wants us to do. Now, here in 1 Timothy 6, Paul wants us to understand the character of the God he's asking us to put our hope in. Look, this isn't a God who's a stingy God who's calling you to live a life of squalor and misery until you get to heaven. Look again at the verse. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. Watch this for our enjoyment. Please take note. Paul doesn't order you to sell it all and go live in a box, he says, that God gave us good things to enjoy don't miss the freedom you don't have to feel guilty about your money maybe I should pause to let that sink in a minute you don't have to feel guilty about your money he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment now the words that come next are important In them, Paul shows us how we can express our hope in God. Rather than adopting a regimen of self-flagellation and remorse about our money, the apostle says this, verse 18, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. To do good means to benefit others. And there's that word rich again. The rich should be rich in good deeds. Well, here's the problem. That's going to take time and energy. Here's another observation. The more successful you are, the less likely you are to give of your time. Now, it's not true of all people it means, but it's true of many. They're more apt to write a check than invest an hour. Now, in their defense, they make a lot more per hour. They may feel their hour is worth more than yours. That sounded a little haughty, didn't it? But is it true? Oh, I find it Fascinating that Paul starts here. He doesn't tell the rich to open their wallets. He tells them to commit their calendars. <laughs> Too often, people of means are stingier with their time than their money. Did anybody need to hear that? Then and only then does Paul move to money, verse 18 command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous. And willing to share. What if the reason you've been blessed is not just because God loves you. What if he's blessed you so you can be a blessing? What if he's blessed you so he can work through you to bless those who aren't as fortunate and haven't had the same experiences you've had? We'll pick up with that theme again in a few weeks. Finally, verse 19. In this way, in other words, by doing good, by being rich in good deeds, by being generous and being willing to share. In this way, Paul says, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul's not suggesting you can buy your way into heaven. He's saying generosity puts money in its rightful place so you can put God in his rightful place. I love this language of taking hold of the life and is truly life. Let me ask you, has your wealth fulfilled you? Has your accumulation scratched the itch or filled the hole? Has it conquered your anxiety and given you a reason to live? You want to truly live? Bring heaven on earth by living a life of serving and loving and giving. Because giving is living. So, as we come to the end of Paul's words to the rich and those who want to be rich, let me ask you Are you giving your money too much credit? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Those who are struggling financially. Those who are succeeding financially. Those who are wondering if they'll succeed financially. I pray for every person in this room. People who have been following you for years and years. Also, I pray for the guest who stumbled into a church this morning and the pastor happened to be talking about money. Well, I pray for that person too. May their eyes be open to the power of money. May their eyes be open to the deception of stuff. So much so that it causes us to question our quest for more. May we not be deceived by the lie that says, if I had this, it'd be worth it, or I'd be worth it. Mm-mm. Give us the faith not to buy that lie. Give us the faith to see life differently. Don't let us buy the lie our stuff tells us about us, that we're all that, that we're better than others. And I want to pray that Every extra dollar we earn, we grow humbler, gentler, more gracious. Lord, I I pray we'd see through the facade that stuff can provide hope. It can't. May we see through that. And may we put our hope in you. A lot of us, quite frankly, even those of us that, that are well off, even those of us who don't have anything to worry about financially, we worry. We worry because what if, what if, what if, may through this series you call us all to a bigger faith than the faith we've put into our riches? Help us to trust you. Okay, a lot of us have made a decision to trust you with the next life, but we have trouble you trusting you. With, we have trouble trusting you with this life. That's got to change. And I pray through this series, we will learn to trust you with our money today. Not just trust you to provide and protect, but trust you that you'll provide and protect as we give as we're generous more and more with our time and with our money. May we trust you with the next life and this one as well. And Lord, I pray you make us generous people, generous with our income. And you better believe it. Generous with our energy. Open our eyes to see the opportunities you're handing us to do just that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. How about a little homework? I'm going to keep it simple. At the beginning of the series, we'll have lots of opportunities for homework. How about a book? Andy Stanley's book, How to Be Rich. Note The verb choice. He didn't say how to get rich, did he? wonder where he's going with that. Okay, this one's worth your time. I thought of recommending this book a little late in the week so we didn't get enough copies in to stock the bookstore. We'll have them next week. In the meantime, get it yourself. You can also download the audio. If you haven't... Starting a practice of audiobooks. Maybe it's time. This is a good one to power through and allow God to use Andy Stanley to, to prompt you to ask the right questions about your stuff. How about a couple of verses for the week? You've seen them already. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17. Now, a couple of highlights here. Maybe as I was talking you felt the a poke when I talked about arrogance. Hopefully you didn't feel me poking you. But maybe. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was God's Spirit saying, hey, we have a problem here. And maybe this is a week where you reflect on that part of the passage and, and reflect on what humility would look like for you in this season. Maybe this is maybe, maybe the, the part that jumped out to you was how you might have actually put your hope and wealth somewhere along the way, not realizing you were doing it. You put your hope in your stuff, you put your hope in your savings, you put your hope in your career your, or your future career. You put your hope there, and maybe you need to do some serious, thoughtful, prayerful reflection about how uncertain all that really is. There's another verse for you, verse 18 and 19. Okay. Now, the second part of the, the passage to the rich. And we'll have lots of opportunity to talk about generosity in this series. But I want to specifically hone in on that first part. Being generous with your time. Anybody feel a nudge during that? No, not from the person sitting next to you. I don't know if you know that experience of God nudging you. You can learn. You can learn to experience it. And God's trying to get your attention about something. And maybe he's trying to get your attention about your time. So maybe this week, is it's important for you to carve out a little time for prayerful reflection. What would it look like for you to serve in our church community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, in your home, What does it look like for you to be generous with your time for your spouse? What does it look like for you to be generous with your time with your children? What does it look like for you to be generous with your time with your roommate, your loud and smelly roommate? Also, here's a graphic for you. Don't give your money too much credit. Please stand. All of these images you can download from our online bulletin also our social media accounts a little later this week. If you came with a need, there will be some people waiting here at the front to pray for you, make your way up, invite them to do so, because I know they'd love to. Here's a prayer I want to leave you with. As you consider your wealth, may you remember the giver and place your hope in him. As you enjoy your wealth, may you be free of guilt, but not responsibility. May you ask honestly in the weeks to come what God wants you to give, what God wants you to give up. And may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your Thanks for being here today. Grace and peace.